Thank you. Thank you to the worship team as well. Fantastic, as usual. Good morning, everyone. It's a real privilege to be here today, so uh, thank you for putting up with me for the next half an hour. Hopefully it will uh, be God speaking through me and not myself. <laughs> so we, uh, we want to start by going to the Bible. We're going to look at the book of Matthew today, so if you have your Bibles on you, that would be great if you could flick to the book of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 28, and specifically verses 16 to 20, um, which you will know when you get there is entitled The Great Commission, As you see, the words are on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible, don't worry uh, too much. So let's let's start by reading this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Dear Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the privilege of being able to read your word so easily. And Lord, we pray this morning that you will speak to our hearts and our minds, and that we will leave this place changed as a result of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is a, a passage that I'm sure some of us will know quite well. It's, a, it's one of these passages that people tend to know off the top of their head sometimes if they've been a Christian for a while. It's a bit like a John 3.16 type passage, I suppose, in that respect. Um, but I think there's a danger with that sometimes, that when we're so familiar with something, we can become a bit too comfortable with it, and we perhaps don't let that challenge us too much. And this particular passage came into my head about, about eight weeks ago, um, and I couldn't really get it out, and I just felt that it was something that needed to be shared with the church. And that was really confirmed this week, because I was away for a couple of days with some other people in the church um, on Wednesday and Thursday. And a lot of what we are focusing on on the course, and we didn't know this at the time, was mission and evangelism. And specifically, they at times quoted bits from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. So I thought that was a good confirmation. But then yesterday, I went to Thatcham Baptist Church, because I'm doing a one-year theology course there. And, uh, and what should they focus on all afternoon? But ministry, um, sorry, uh, uh, mission and evangelism, and specifically Matthew 28. So I think God is in this, I hope. And hopefully, this is a good message to share with the church today. So before we uh, launch into the passage, I really just wanted to start by setting the scene. Um, We know that this happens after Jesus has been crucified. And we read just before this passage that the the, the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and and another Mary, and we're not 100% sure as to who that other Mary is, but they go to the tomb where Jesus has been buried. And when they get there, they see an angel and the stone has been rolled away and they are full of fear and Uh, And they don't quite know what to do. And the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Jesus is alive and he has gone to Galilee. And that you are to go back and tell the disciples to meet him there. So they are, as I said, full of fear, but then also joy, we read. And they run back the road to try and get to the disciples to tell them this amazing news. But who should they meet on the way but Jesus himself? And they fall at his feet And they worship him, and he says the same as the angel. He says, do not be afraid, just go and tell the disciples that I have risen, and that they are to meet me in Galilee. So that's where we pick up the 
this passage, Matthew 28, verses 16 onwards. So the first part of this passage, we read that the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And it's a, a passage, a part of the passage that I think is very easy to, to brush over and think, well, that's just, you know, set in the scene, perhaps. But I just think this bit is actually really critical, because if you put yourself in the situation of where the disciples were at this point, they were probably hiding from the authorities, they were afraid, they were no doubt disheartened and, and almost heartbroken, you would think, lost. Their supposed saviour, Jesus, who they felt was going to set them free from the Romans, was gone. And the Romans were still very much there. So they would have been feeling pretty awful at that point in time. And it must have been hard, I would expect, for them to have believed what Mary was going to, what she was saying to them, that Jesus was alive. Come and meet him in Galilee. Yet somehow, they got up, they moved, and they went. And we could try and figure out why that is. Maybe they were very trusting of what Mary was saying to them, but I I don't think that would have been the case in that situation. This was an amazing thing. Would they have trusted that one person with that news? Maybe they were full of faith. But when we look again at Scripture, we know that they necessarily weren't that faithful sometimes. We look at Peter, the rock of the church, and he denied Jesus before his crucifixion three times. So maybe they were just clinging on to a a bit of hope, that they were so desperate that they just wanted to cling on to that little bit of hope. But we don't know what it was, but whatever it was that made them know, that they got up and they moved to the place that Jesus was calling them to. And it got me thinking that Jesus um, is, is sometimes calling us into a different place. Sometimes we have to get up and move where Jesus might be calling us. And sometimes uh, that might be an audible voice, but sometimes it's just a whisper to move into a different place. And this can be challenging, but I certainly wrestled with this when I made the decision to step out of my career 16 years ago in finance, and um, I couldn't deny that God was in it. We were, uh, we had a difficult situation to face, um, but uh, God was in it, and he communicated to us in a lot of ways. So we may have a lack of trust and of faith or, and of hope or of any of those things, Um, But just like the 11 disciples, if we too are to be disciples, we must step into what God has for us, even if it isn't particularly convenient or it might be a bit challenging and scary. If we move forward into verse 17, we then read that, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, this bit is, I think, brilliant. I love this bit because it makes me feel so much better about my faith. Because here the disciples are. They'd spent three years with Jesus during his earthly ministry. They'd witnessed these amazing teachings. Um, They'd seen many healings. And they'd witnessed lots of miracles as well. Jesus had told them what was going to happen, that he was going to (laughs) rise again. Um, So it wasn't really a surprise, or it shouldn't have been. And now he was stood right in front of them, and still they doubted. These are the people that God chose to spread his message to the entire world. So what does Jesus do when he sees that they have a a lack of faith? Does he rebuke them? Does he disown them? Does he think, I'm going to choose some other people here, because these guys aren't going to do the job? 
No, he feels it fitting to continue to give them the greatest and the most important task in human history, to spread the message and the love of God. We will always go through periods where we're going to struggle with our faith, where we have our own doubts. Things that we cannot understand, situations we might find ourselves in where we just cannot see God. We cannot make sense of it. But does that mean, because we have those doubts, because we have that lack of faith from time to time, that we are inadequate? That God can't or he won't use us in our situations? No. Just as Jesus chose his imperfect disciples to carry out this this amazing, incredible mission, so too does he call you and he calls me, as flawed, as imperfect as we no doubt are, to do the same mission. If we move further forward through the passage and we look at verses 18 and part of verse 19, the start of verse 19, we get into the real sort of meat of the the Great Commission, if you like. It says, all authority has been given to Jesus, and he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And uh, this is a short sentence, but it's a very uh, powerful sentence, so I just want to break it down a little bit. So one of the words he says here is a really simple word, it's a very short word, and the word is go. He says go. It's a proactive word, it requires us to get up and do something. And the church of the past, in general, and I don't just speak of our church, I mean as a nation, has too often probably been reactive in the way that we work. We might welcome people into our buildings... We might do a great job of that, but are we going to them? Are we meeting them in the situations that they find themselves in and the difficulties that they're struggling with? I think we're getting better as a a country, certainly in Bays and Stoke alone. We've got some amazing stuff happening. We've got the the Nightlight Winter Shelter at the moment, which is helping the homeless. We've got food banks. We've got street pastors, which are all amazing things, which are brilliant examples of this. They're, They're going into the situations where people are struggling and they're helping and they're sharing the love of God. They're being the hands and the feet of the church. So we must go. He then sends, says, we must go, but to make disciples. Make disciples. And Jesus is very clear here that we must make disciples. Make being the operative word. Sometimes within the church, um, I think if we're honest, maybe certainly in leadership positions, we can be guilty of focusing a lot on church growth, numerically. You know, fitting as many bottoms on seats as we possibly can, and that is our idea of success. We can obsess about perhaps the numbers. However, if the church is growing purely by taking people from other churches, whether that's locally or from people moving into the area, are we really fulfilling the mandate that Jesus is calling us to here? You know, don't get me wrong, loads of people here have come from other churches, and that is absolutely fantastic. We love to have a thriving church, a thriving congregation, and you are incredibly welcome here. We're, we're grateful that you are here, but we've got to recognise that if that's the only ra- way that we're growing, are we, filling, are we fulfilling this mandate that Jesus has given to us? So we must be clear, Jesus commanded us to make disciples, not just to take disciples. But how? Because that's a lovely sentence, isn't it? Make disciples. Um, But it's a scary one. We don't really know how to do it. And if we're honest with ourselves, certainly if I'm honest with myself, it sort of fills you with fear. The thought of sharing your faith to others outside of these four walls. And half the time we don't really know why it fills us with fear, but it does. 
And if we could get past that fear some, somehow, we sort of think, well, okay, that's great, but what words would I use? How would I communicate this to people, this amazing news that we know of? Well, first of all, um, there's something very important I think we've got to recognise, and that is that none of us, no matter how brilliant we are, can make anyone a disciple. Because the reality is, the only person that can do that is God. We can't speak to someone's heart, we can't change someone's heart. That's the job of God, and he will do that via his Holy Spirit. We just have the incredible honour of making the introduction, of, of being the hands and the feet. A great way to make that introduction, we've already mentioned it this morning and prayed for it this morning, is our Alpha course. Um, from a practical point of view, it's just a, a, an incredibly easy way to try and get someone to hear the loving message of Jesus, the gospel message. You know, you don't even have to say anything, you just have to invite them to the course. So I'd love to say, yeah, come along, bring loads of friends, it'd be amazing. Of course that would be great. But I'm very aware, as Dave, I think, mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that if you haven't done an Alpha course, well, why would you invite someone? You don't even know what it's like. It could be awful. It's not. It's brilliant. I love them. But, but it could be. You don't know. So the key is, you need to do it. You need to come on it, experience it, realise that it is brilliant, and then you might be more inclined and comfortable to invite those other people to it. So come along. Come and see this Tuesday evening. It would be great to have as many people there as possible. And it's such a great course for Christians as well as non-Christians. I've got so much out of it over the years. So Alpha is a practical thing that we can do. But we need to pray for prompting from the Holy Spirit about the people that we need to be talking to. We need to acknowledge those little nudges that we get when we're having that conversation with someone and we feel that God's saying, you need to speak to them, and we sort of back away and go, oh, no, no thanks, God. We need to maybe step up to that. So we then need to pray, if we feel those nudges, for strength and courage to overcome those fears and definitely wisdom to be able to approach that situation in the right way. We then have to trust that God is going to work in that person's heart, that that's not our responsibility. And of course we're going to be nervous when we do this sort of stuff, especially for the first few times if we haven't done it before. But if we were 100% confident when we did this, are we really trusting God? The great thing is, when we do this, we have to take a step out and lean in and trust God when we invite these people, we have those conversations over a coffee. And finally, we've just got to say that success is not about the, uh, the outcome. Success is about the invitation. So if you've, if you've had the courage to invite someone to an Alpha course, or you've gone for a coffee with someone and you've shared your faith, regardless of what they then say, that's a success. That is amazing, and that is brilliant, and you have done exactly what God is calling you to do. You can't have an influence over whether someone says yes to an invitation, but what you can have an influence over is whether you ask the question. As a church, of course, we're going to do our very best to try and equip you in all of this because we know it's not easy. So um, this week, actually, uh, it's a busy week. Um, this coming week, uh, life groups and our life groups, we're going to be launching a course called Talking Jesus. And it's a, it's a DVD course and we watch it and then discuss it. 
So a little bit like Alpha, really. And the idea of that course is that it will equip us to have those conversations with people in our everyday situations, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our social situations. Have those conversations that sometimes we might struggle with. So if you're not part of a life group, sign up, please. We'd love to have you there anyway, but we'd certainly love you to, uh, to go through this course with us. But I suppose we've got to also realise that courses are brilliant. Listening to brilliant, maybe, evangelists talking is helpful. But there is no substitute for just getting stuck in and having a go to practice. You know, we don't, we don't get on our bikes at five years old, do we, and, and then ride three miles down the road. We get on our bikes, we fall off many, many times, as I've experienced recently with my kids, and eventually they will be able to ride their bikes because they've practiced, and we are no different. We need to practice, and it will become easier, and we will become better at it the more that we do it. We're going to get it wrong sometimes, that's okay. But we've got to realise, what, what are we fearful of. We come back to the fear, yeah, but I don't know whether I have the confidence, I don't know, what, you know, I'm scared, essentially. But if we go back to our passage and the 11 disciples that Jesus is speaking to, we realise by looking at history books as well as the Bible that, um, that 10 of the 11 disciples died a horrific martyr's death for their faith. And their, their ministry to, to, to spread the good news of Jesus throughout the world they had something to be scared of. They must have heard that this was happening. They must have heard that their colleagues in Christ were being crucified in horrific ways. And they could have stopped. They could have thought, actually, I don't know about this anymore. I'm going to stop. But they didn't. They carried on. It was worth dying for. What are we afraid of? What are we, what are we scared of? There really isn't that much in this country, in our context, that we should be afraid of. I um, I got this for um for my Christmas present from my wife. <laughs> Just. But the the reason why I'm showing you that is um. <laughs> I, so I got this present for Christmas from my wife. wasn't expecting it at all. wasn't wasn't a request, but um, but yeah, it's great fun to be honest. It's brilliant. Um, so over the Christmas period, when the kids are off school, they've got their little scooters, and we went to a quiet park and we rode it all together for you know forty five minutes or something like that, and it was brilliant. It was great fun. We had fun. The girls had fun. Um, it was great. So uh, thought nothing of it. And um, then they started to go back to school. And it became apparent that my wife had bought me this because I um, have the privilege of doing the school run for uh, a few times each week, which is great. And quite often they tend to uh, ride their scooters. I'm left basically legging it after them. (laughs) So she thought it would be great that if I had my own scooter, I could scoot with them. (laughs) Yeah, maybe later. (laughs) But um, when the morning came that it was that school run, and, Daddy, Daddy, let's go on our scooters. You can ride your scooter. I suddenly became very self-aware of the fact that I was an adult on a scooter and that there were going to be hundreds of other parents that I knew at the school. So I did what any self-respecting parent would do and I put them off and I thought of an excuse as to why we couldn't possibly use our scooters that day and uh, we went in the car or we walked or something like that. So, um, So I did that a few times and to be honest, I just ran out of excuses after a while. And, uh, and on one Friday also... 
I thought, I'm going to face my fear here. This is ridiculous. My kids love it. I actually love it. It's silly. What on earth am I afraid of? So I, I did it. And we rode to school, and it was great fun. And it felt like there were thousands of people at the school, school gate ready to jeer at me. But of course, they didn't. Uh, they didn't even notice, to be honest. It was, uh, <laughs> and the people that I came into contact with, the friends that I knew there, I was expecting them to say sarcastic marks or scowling things. And actually, they went, oh, that's good, isn't it? And I thought, oh, wow. That wasn't what I was expecting. And then it even got to the stage where I was walking back and a lady came out to me that I'd never, ever spoken to before. I don't know who she is. And she came out to me to talk to me about my scooter. And I, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And so said really positive things, that she wanted one and she thought it was such a great idea. And anyway, and it got me thinking as I was, I was walking home, or, or scooting home as the case may be, that um, that's, that's like we are with our faith. We think of the worst possible outcome that we can as to if we share the news of Jesus with someone, they're going to think I'm an idiot or stupid or silly or, or something worse maybe. But the reality is, in my experience of doing this, and I, and I still have an awful long way to go on it myself, is that actually people are like that. They are inquisitive, they are interested, they are respectful, and they want to know more. We build this thing up to be horrific, and it just isn't. So perhaps we've got to get on our scooters, if you like, (laughs) and just go for it. Face our fears, because it just isn't as bad as we think. So we have to introduce people to Jesus, but the word disciple doesn't just mean telling people about Jesus, it means dedicated follower of Jesus, dedicated follower of Jesus. So we also have a responsibility to take people, which may include ourselves, from the start of our faith journey through to being a dedicated follower of Jesus. And we're going to just touch on this a bit more as we go through later on. So we need to go, we need to make disciples, and then the end of that particular passage starts, finishes, of all nations. So the Greek word for um, all nations, I thought I'm doing a preach, I better look up a Greek word so I sound clever. Um, but <laughs> um, is ethne, apparently, I didn't know that. But what is interesting is that particular word means all people groups in the world. So of all ma- nations is actually translated in Greek, all people groups in the world. And that was a a really radical thing for Jesus to have said, really, because no longer was this just a message for for the Jews, but this was a message for the likes of you and I, the Gentiles. Whatever background, whatever ethnicity, wherever we were from, whatever we had done, we were to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. So we, just like Jesus, are called to be radical in the way that we think, in the way that we reach people, and also in the people that we reach. We need to think about how we can reach people in a little bit more of an inventive way, perhaps, sometimes. We need to think in a different way, and stop getting ourselves stuck in the same old pattern that perhaps we're used to. And we need to reach out to those people that perhaps we're not reaching at the moment. We read in in, uh, the book of Luke, chapter 5, verse 32, that I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We need to go to the broken, to the flawed, to the dirty, to the ones that just aren't being reached at the moment, the lost. That's where we're called. So all people groups, but he also says, around the world in that interpretation. And I just think this is, this is incredible, really, because practically now, that is 
an incredible task to, to take 11 people and to spread a message around the entire world. But 2,000 years ago, they didn't have planes or cars or mobile phones or the internet or email. It would have been such an enormous, enormous request. If we look at uh, Paul, and he wasn't even one of the 11 disciples, Paul alone was thought to have travelled over 10,000 miles in his mission to witness for Jesus. You know, 10,000 miles by foot or by boat. What must have seemed like an impossible task to the disciples was made possible through God. We might sometimes look at uh, seemingly impossible things in our situations, the way in which maybe Jesus wants us to tell someone about him. Maybe some things that Jesus is calling us into, a change in our life. And we think, how on earth is God going to do this? How is God going to use me? But the good news is he will. Just like he used the disciples as, as flawed as they were to do this incredible mission, he will use you as flawed as you might be to do other incredible things. So we move on to the, the rest of the um, passage in, in 19. And he says, Baptize in them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I thought this was important to mention because Jesus just singles out here the importance of baptism. And I know that you know, we're a Baptist church, so I suppose we're going to be pretty biased in this respect. But, but it seems clear to me that if you have a faith in Jesus, you need to be baptised. Black and white, really. And also, it's clear that it's not the end of the journey, but it's the beginning. He says, go and tell people about me, and then baptise them. He doesn't say, go and tell people about me, wait for a few years until you're absolutely certain that they're going to live a really good Christian life, and only then baptise them. Go and tell people about me, commit themselves to me, and then baptise them. (coughs) It's an act of obedience, believe and be baptised. So, I suppose a bit of cool. if you're here today, and you have a faith in Jesus, you know him as your saviour, and you haven't been baptised because of, perhaps you didn't think it was relevant, perhaps you just haven't got round to it, come and speak to Dave when he back, he's back, or, or even me, we'd love to fill the pool under this stage up, um, and have uh, a celebration of baptism with you, and I'm sure some other people as well. We're drawing to a close now, and, and the, the last uh, part of the passage really goes on to and then saying, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This bit is also you know, very important. Um, we have, yes, a responsibility to tell people about Jesus, but we also have a responsibility as a body to teach and to nurture those who have a fledgling faith. You know, when we go to uh, school or university, um, or when we do maybe a professional qualification at work, we don't expect to be taught just for a day or two, do we? We go for a period of time, and often that period of time is years. And that's no different from us taking someone from an early young faith to being a fully devoted follower of Christ, in other words, a disciple. They need help. They need our help. And that's difficult. Because if we're honest with ourselves, that requires a sacrifice from us. To hold someone's hand along their faith journey is going to require time and sacrifice from us. But it's really important to draw out of the passage here that Jesus is saying this to all of his disciples. 
He doesn't pull three people aside. He doesn't say to, to James and to, to you know, John or Luke, he doesn't say, oh, you guys have got the gift of teaching, so I want you three to focus on teaching and then give another task to some other disciples. He says this to all of them. He expects all of them to, to teach those that are new in their Christian faith. It would be easy for us maybe as church congregations, church members, to say that any teaching or nurturing of new Christians is the responsibility of the minister, or even of the leadership. But the truth is that we all have that responsibility. We are the body of Christ, and we have that responsibility to help one another in their journey. So we must invest ourselves, because if we're going to teach others, we need to know what we're teaching. So we need to invest that in our own discipleship. We need to get to a point where we have an unshakable relationship with Jesus. We need to read our Bibles, yes. We need to pray, but we need to spend time with him, building our relationship if we are to impact other people as well. So when you look at our church, and we're probably a bit of an odd bunch, um, just like every other church, it's just amazing because I just think... What if we all stepped up to this mandate that Jesus is calling us to? We're sort of an army of people that would be ready to serve and fight for Jesus, to serve one another and to serve the people importantly outside of these four walls. How many lives could be changed? How many lives could be saved if we all stepped up to this mantle? Uh, Jackie Pullinger, I don't know whether any of you have heard of Jackie Pullinger, MBE. Uh, she's an amazing woman, and, and essentially she's a, a Christian uh, missionary. And she spent much of her adult life in a place called Kowloon Ward City, which is in Hong Kong. And Kowloon Ward City is, is sort of a lawless area. It's one of the biggest um, sort of drug-producing, illegal drug-producing areas in the world. It's run by... Uh, sort of criminal triad gangs, and it's, you know, an incredibly dangerous place. And when she was uh, graduated from university, she felt it fit to go over there and start mission work, outreach work, evangelism in that incredibly difficult place. So she is an amazing lady and incredibly well qualified to say this quote. She says, As Christians, we are called to have soft hearts and hard feet. The problem is we tend to have hard hearts and soft feet. So as Christians, we are called to have hearts that break when we look outside of this place and we see people that have not been saved, that have not heard that message of Jesus yet. Our hearts should yearn with compassion for those people. But importantly, we should then be prepared, we should have hard feet, we should be prepared to go where we need to go to tell those people. And in Jack's case, that was a physically difficult place, you know, an incredibly dangerous area. But sometimes for us, and perhaps more so in our country, that might be an emotionally difficult place. We have to conquer our fear in order to broach that with that person. And then she goes on to say that obviously we've got it the wrong way around quite often. We tend to have hard hearts. We don't necessarily have that compassion for people that are lost outside of this place. And even if we did, are we really going to have the, uh, the, the will to go there? We've got hard feet. Um, hard, soft, soft feet, sorry. The truth is that we were all told the message of Jesus by someone. Maybe they were really eloquent and professional in the way they did it. Maybe they had loads of confidence, which is great. But maybe they fumbled around nervously, just desperately trying to find the right words to share with you. 
Maybe you were told by a Sunday school teacher when you were younger because your parents dragged you kicking and screaming to church each week. But the truth is, it doesn't matter how you were told. It matters that you were told. God then works in your heart once you've been told. And I hope that you're sat here today in a loving relationship with Jesus as a result of that. Where would you be if no one had ever told you about Jesus? If they hadn't plucked up the courage to tell you about their situation, their faith, God. And aren't you glad they did? I'm certainly very glad that that little girl that I mentioned earlier in the children's talk told my wife to come to Sunday school when she was eight years old. Because that tiny little act, that question that she said yes to, has impacted on the lives of so many people. And that's just incredible, I think. An eight-year-old girl has made that much difference. If she can do it, we can all do it. Jesus never said that the Great Commission would be easy, because the reality is, things that great often aren't. That it wouldn't require sacrifice, because of course it will. If you make the decision today to step into a place where you commit to witness for God, whatever that may look like for you, to be missionaries in your workplace or your school or your social situations, you're going to come up against hardships and loss, disappointments, rejection. Because there is a spiritual battle. The, the enemy does not want you to share your faith with people. A, because he doesn't want anyone else to come to the kingdom, but B, because he knows that you will grow in your faith as you do it. But the great thing is, Jesus says at the very end of this passage, surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. We are not doing this alone. It is not up to our own strength to do this. We are calling on the strength of God. We are partnering with God when we step out and we decide that we're going to witness for him. God is with us. Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Let's pray.